0: The future of money in 30 minutes i'm paul amory the editor of new money review money is a form of communication like writing music and art it goes back to the origins of human history and now money is changing fast in a way that will affect all of us new types of money arrive out of nowhere like bitcoin we now make payments with our phones not with notes and coins but as payments get faster cheaper and digital other aspects of money become more complex. Anyone reliant on cash is at risk of being excluded from the new financial system. Digital money is easily traceable, so who gets to monitor what we spend? There's increasing concern about what happens to our payments data, which are the most valuable digital records of all. In some areas of money, criminals and fraudsters are having the time of their lives. New and more inventive scams arrive by the week. What is the role of governments and central banks in this new world? And what about the big tech firms like Google, Apple, Facebook and the Chinese tech giants who are moving quickly into money? The new Money Review podcast takes a big picture look at all these trends and at their impact on society. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and culture with it. Each episode we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast, you can stay up to date with what's going on in this crucial area. If you enjoy this New Money Review podcast, why not stay in touch with our future releases? You can subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or your usual podcast provider. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Nick Farno, who's a computer security expert and a forensic investigator who's investigated many cases of fraud, murder, assault, child protection, terrorism and more recently, crimes involving cryptocurrency. Nick, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a bit about yourself, your background and your area of work?
1: Yeah, hello. Um, so my name is Nick Furno, and I'm uh, Managing Director of CSI Tech and uh, CTO of a company called Asset Reality. Um, I've, been a, I've been an investigator of digital crime or crimes involving digital evidence for over 20 years. And um, back in 2018, I, I published through Wiley a book called Investigating Cryptocurrencies, which is still the only book in the world, actually, as a handbook on investigating crimes that involve cryptocurrencies. Uh, and my life took a hard left change after the publication of that book. So fundamentally, I now work almost exclusively with law enforcement and some large um, corporates uh, dealing with uh, the challenge of investigating crimes that involve crypto in some way.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you for explaining that. Uh, so let's let's rewind twelve years to the creation of Bitcoin. Uh, what opportunities has cryptocurrency have cryptocurrencies created for criminals?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's such a great question, and um, uh, this is where everyone has to sit back, get a, get a glass of wine, and listen to me rattle on for about an hour and a half. Um, I, I give a conference speech, actually, called There's No Such Thing as Cryptocurrency Crime, um, because there is this sort of mindset that cryptocurrencies generated a new category of crime. And it simply isn't the case. Uh, we are looking at ransomware, which is, you know, ransoming things has been around, you know, for as long as humans. Um, fraud has always uh, been around, money laundering always been around, counter-terrorism you know, and so on and so, on, so forth. What Bitcoin did is it provided a method of transaction that was at its fundamental core anonymous. Now we do call it pseudo anonymous now because of the methodologies that have grown up around the ability to trace and carry out identification. But at its core, Bitcoin is a non-centralized no centralized control, a decentralized system uh, based on an open public ledger, which is completely anonymous. And so what that has done for the criminal is given them the ability to take crimes that we have always investigated and it's given them a new method of either transactional funds um, or the ability to mix and hide, um, to transact with other criminal groups, to uh, achieve payments from victims uh, in a way that is more challenging for law enforcement to deal with. So we had a situation a few months ago where uh, somebody gave uh, evidence in the US to the, the, the US Senate and sort of suggested that until we get rid of cryptocurrencies, we're always going to have ransomware software, you know, attacks against us. But actually ransomware as a, as a technical attack predates Bitcoin by a decade. Mm. Mm. What it gave Bitcoin was the, what Bitcoin gave the criminal was a new method of payment. Mm. So I, I always sort of bang on about that because, you know, I've got countries at the moment Talking to me about setting up cryptocurrency investigation departments, and that's not wrong in itself. The problem is when you come to investigate money laundering, there are way more clues to investigate than just the crypto bit. Yeah, uh, and so it's very, very important we don't lose the big investigative picture. Yeah, uh, putting
0: things into context, uh, there's a very well-known crypto crime report published by Chainalysis, and they they published they said in there. Latest report for two thousand and twenty one. that the, In their words, the good news is that cryptocurrency related crime fell significantly in twenty twenty. Does that tally with what you've been seeing?
1: You know, it's. It's. I mean, I know. I know Chainalysis and many of their people very, very well, and um, I, I am not going to contradict um, their report. Uh, however, the Financial Times reported um, two weeks ago that. Um, What do they call it? Uh, Transfers of money to criminals that you did yourself. There's actually a name for it. I can't remember what it is. I think it's like approved transaction crime or something like that. That was up 71% this year. Uh, And that many of those criminals then move things into, move those money into crypto. Um, They also reported, and this is our experience, that 70 to 80% of arrested criminals have cryptocurrency wallets on their phone or computers. Our phone rings off the hook by individuals who have lost cryptocurrencies in scams, frauds, phishing attacks, some of them extremely sophisticated, some of them unbelievably simple. So it it isn't my personal experience. Now, Chainalysis are taking a worldview, and I absolutely respect that. But on the ground, we've never been so busy. Right. Uh, and and so I, I'm not seeing that yeah. uh, as a sort of an on the ground investigator.
0: Yeah. To be fair to, to Chainalysis, I think they, they calculated that in their opinion, 0.4 percent of cryptocurrency transactions are related to crime. But they do add the caveat that over time, that number is likely to rise because you know, investigations show that things that aren't immediately evident as, as crime related could Turn out to be related to a scam or a, some other. Yeah, form of... I,
1: I struggle with that a little bit. It, it's interesting, actually, that if you watch, this is very geeky, um, but if you watch Bitcoin traffic, which you can, uh, and actually, chain analysis are very good at this, quite a significant percentage, high teens percentage of the traffic comes through the Tor network. You yeah. know, the Onion network. The, now, one has to ask the question, why is somebody routing through the Tor network? Well, they may be a civil libertarian and they don't want the governments to trace their money. Total respect for that, that's completely down to them. I would suggest that that is a small number in comparison to criminality that is using Tor to obfuscate the movement uh, of the traffic moving the funds over the Bitcoin network yeah um so you know I, again there's some very 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 clever people that work for chain analysis um but I, I think some of the other triggers for me that would be indicative of criminality show a considerably higher percentage of transactions uh, are related to criminality but but again you know that is technical anecdote uh, really and um you know i, I would probably if I had to give evidence on it, quote the chain analysis figures, because, you know, they do a lot more global research than the type of work that we're doing, sort of investigating individual crimes one at a time.
0: Yeah. So to what extent does the inherent traceability of cryptocurrency transactions make it easier for investigators to, um, to solve crime compared to, let's say, money flows through the traditional financial system via shell companies and so on, where often you run into a dead end quite quickly through, you know, nominee directors, companies mm. in, in, in secrecy jurisdictions. Isn't cryptocurrency a better tool for
1: uncovering illicit behavior? I tell you, what, it's a more annoying tool Yeah. Um, because uh, the reality of something like Bitcoin is every transaction is on the public blockchain, which yeah. is basically just a very clever spreadsheet. People get very excited about blockchain, but it's fundamentally yeah. just a spreadsheet where all the transactions are cryptographically locked together. Um, and so often we will go, oh, there we go. There's the theft of that. or There's the victim moving their payments to this address. And then we see that address go here and here and then go here, here, here and here. And it's still there. And there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Because essentially what we are looking for um, is some sort of impact into a verifiable service. So we're looking for them to hit an exchange or a... A trader or a known address which is identified um, We uh, something I often mention in, in interviews actually we had a case set a number of years ago um, with uh, Thames Valley Police where a person had about a quarter of a million uh, pounds worth of Bitcoin at the time actually it would be worth about double that now um, uh, just had it stolen just a straight theft, theft of their private key essentially and, and it got stolen. All of that money was moved to an address still there Still there two and a half years later. And there's nothing we can do. And the same is true for a
0: a lot of the crypto stolen in the Mt. Gox hack of 2013, 2014. The Bitfinex hack. Those funds are still out there, but they're, they're kind of, well, frozen is the wrong word because the person can still move them, but they can't. What you're saying is they can't easily cash them out.
1: That's exactly right. So, of course, what dear Satoshi Nakamoto, whether it's a he or she or a they, and I uh, don't quite understand why people always say he just because of the name, because we really don't know who it is. Um, well, there is somebody who claims to be and they're going through the courts on that process at the moment. Um, but fundamentally, the, when you look at the original white paper and the whole process is that uh, Bitcoin was designed to be disassociated from banking. and um, block zero of Bitcoin actually has a quote from the Times of of that week because the Chancellor was bailing out the banks again at that time at the end of uh, 2009, uh, early 2010, and that that would seem to be that that was the purpose of it. Now, the problem is is that Bitcoin actually doesn't work very well as a currency. Transaction fees are far too high. It's too slow to confirm transactions. So that means that people are using it it's sort of like 21st century gold, really. You know, you yeah. can't go and buy a coffee with it, but it has a, an inherent value. Uh, and because it has inherent value, people are going to want to transact that between the asset that it has become and fiat currency. And yeah. to do that, you need someone who's going to say, yeah, I'll take that off your hands and give you actual money. Now, you either need to do that on the street And there are people around that will do that at 20% interest, or you're going to have to do that through an exchange. Those exchanges are now being legislated to heck in basically every country on the planet. Um, And so that does make it more challenging uh, for criminals to move um, assets. It's easy to move assets into crypto, but it's much more difficult to move them back out into fiat currency without leaving some sort of trace.
0: Yeah I mean I, I can share a personal uh, anecdote I I uh, I own some bitcoin which I sold uh, earlier this year and I bought in 2015 so I was you know lucky with oh, the timing but uh, I, when, I when I wanted to cash it in I I managed to do so on um Coinflora a UK based exchange but then mm-hmm. I had to they really were the questions that they asked about where I got you know where I got the bitcoin from what funds I used to to purchase it back in 2015 mm-hmm. and you know, where that money had come from, wherever, you know, they wanted to know practically what my, you know, my, my grandmother had had for breakfast in 25 years ago. It was, they, they, you know, they, they, and then the same happened again from the bank that received the funds. So it's quite, it's, yeah. quite, it's very heavily surveilled uh, uh, these days. And, uh, and you know, it's it like, is
1: through, through primary banking. And of yeah. course, there are other methods uh, for, for criminals to be able to move. Uh, in, indeed, being able to cash out within particular networks uh, yeah. as well, people that are willing yeah. to hold. Uh, crypto, maybe people that are willing to launder uh, that crypto for you, and so they'll just charge you a huge, uh, a huge percentage and, and yeah. give you the cash. Uh, but you're quite right. I mean, we we often, I am I am not a crypto investor, which is annoying because I was in this quite early on. But because I come at it from a criminal investigation point of view, I just always saw it as criminal. Mm. And so back in 2017, I was sat on a beach in Cornwall with a friend of mine from the US. Bitcoin was at fifteen hundred and fifteen. I remember really clearly, fifteen hundred and fifteen dollars. And he said to me, "Listen, mate, how many of these should I buy?" Because he's a reasonably wealthy chap. And I was like, "Mate, it's snake oil. Honestly, it's criminal." <laughs> <laughs> and so when it passed forty thousand dollars earlier this year, he called me
0: to remind <laughs> I like,
1: you. Dude, do not take investment <laughs> advice from uh, an investigator. Um, you know, we've had to buy crypto over the last few years for teaching classes and. Uh, yeah. doing, you know, sort of research and that sort of thing. But I, I think my my total crypto holdings are less than 10K, you know, it's right. not a lot of money. But actually we had to buy, we had to just buy about 500 quids worth of Ethereum um, the other day um, because we're we're just about to start teaching um, an advanced class, which is all oriented around that crypto 2.0 and tracking through DEFI contracts and decentralised exchanges and things like that. Um, and the, the bank froze my business bank account. <laughs> Right. Until I could explain yeah. why it was five hundred quid. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't like fifty thousand or yeah. half a million. Um, so yeah, the, the, the banks are very twitchy at the yeah. moment with any sort of crypto uh, movement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. That, sorry, that was a very long answer. To no, it's. Me. So,
0: I mean, it's. It's. I mean, it's, clearly, we've moved on a long way from the early days of Bitcoin, where it was the currency of the Silk Road, uh, you know, dark net markets, and, and people assumed that it was. You, know, you could do what you liked and would never get traced. That's that's clearly, you know, we've gone one hundred and eighty degrees since then, and it's it's uh, in some ways the most surveilled part of the financial
1: system. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's you know there, there are both pros and cons for the criminal and for the investigator. Actually, it, it's a very interesting battle, uh, to be honest. And um, you know what what we do need is 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 we need all of the all of the exchanges playing ball. Yeah. Um, there are some excellent ones doing a good job, uh, and there are some that are not so excellent. And um, but I, I I think they have to be extremely careful because you know if you go back five years, an awful lot of the money in crypto was criminal. Yeah. Uh, and so they protected everything. Protect. 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 Don't talk to law enforcement. Don't talk to investigators. You know. Um, the reality now is that this John and Jane in number 32, Acacia Avenue, have got some spare cash and are buying crypto. Yeah. They are going to want to deal with companies that are going to make restitution when things go wrong, yeah. um, that are going to get talk to law enforcement if they get defrauded. So I think these companies, uh, of which there are some massive ones still out there, um, forget legislation i think they are they are going to do themselves out of business eventually uh, as long as crypto keeps moving into the central domain of uh, of normal society um, yeah. you know which it seems to have done uh, bizarrely since the wannacry ransomware in 2017 sort of 18 whenever that was yeah um, when sort of bitcoin appeared on the front of the daily mail for the first time and yeah. um, it sort of seems to have gone up from there
0: yeah. Now, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're dealing with a you know very high level of scams, and you're seeing a lot of that kind of activity. One area that chain analysis said is growing in in the area of crypto crime is is ransomware, and it's someone else has written that ransomware has been on a rampage this year. What you know, what 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 that the, the let's say the bitcoins, if they are bitcoins, raised through those ransomware attacks. Are they also frozen somewhere? Are they also sitting somewhere unable, you know, with the criminals unable to move them? Or, or can they, given that a lot of the operators of ransomware schemes seem to be somewhere in maybe Russia or that part of the world, are they able mm-hmm. to cash them out
1: locally? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So the last part is, is correct. So, you know, we do have nation states um, that have exchanges that, you know, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. Um, and the authorities will only uh, investigate if it's in their in their interests. Yeah. So I'm not going to start sort of nation state uh, bashing here, but you know who you are. And um, yeah, that, that is problematic. So the ransomware is is crazy at, at the moment. And um, but I think the key thing to remember is the payment methodology of choice at the moment is cryptocurrencies. But if you go back 10 years before Bitcoin, it was um, prepaid cards, prepaid, you know, you'd actually get the person to go and buy a prepaid credit card and give them the details or yeah. you could buy these like um, stamps uh, almost or, or high, high rate. You can't get them anymore. But you remember the old 0898 phone numbers? Yeah. Uh, and they would set up an 0898 phone number with a two thousand pound a minute limit, and so say you have to phone this number. Right. Um, you know, uh, I mean, they're not allowed uh, anymore in most countries around the world. But there were always ways of getting the money. Yeah. Um, so crypto has just become that that method now, and I, I don't know how we solve the international issue. I, I really don't. We've got countries that don't care for their own reasons. And then we have countries that just don't have the people and the funds to be able to train their law enforcement people, to train their legislators. So, you know, we, we get calls from police forces around the world who just can't afford the tools. Mm. So we have brilliant investigation tools from Chainalysis, who we've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, Cypher Trace actually just been bought by Mastercard, TRM Labs and, and, and others. These, these are really, really good tools, um, but they are really expensive. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, you know, if you're looking at, you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars a seat for something, yeah. uh, I'm not saying the value isn't there because the work that goes into producing these tools and the identification databases behind the scenes are extremely complex and, and time consuming. Um, but if you could imagine the sort of a South American country sort of teetering third second world um it just doesn't have those sorts of funds to yeah, sure. train its people to be able to do those investigations yeah. so sorry going off on a bit of a ramble there but um it is it is an issue
0: yeah and i was just thinking what, what, what about what you were saying about the, the the you know the difficulty of managing this on a global scale because we, we're moving perhaps from a dollar system where the u.s government could you know effectively control access to the financial system by means of its control of dollar Flows dollar the dollar clearing system, which was in, which is in New York, uh, to a much more complex, multipolar world where there's no central control anymore. I mean, is that does that mm. fit fit with what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, that's, yeah. that's absolutely right, and and that's that, that's why uh, the U S the U S has got a tricky one here. You mm. know, America, land of the free, pew pew, um, and so it sort of has to allow freedom of. Uh, of, you know, sort of financial development and things like that. But at the same time, cryptocurrency does, it it does produce a certain challenge on the dollar, on the sort of the almighty dollar. There was a very, do do you remember that Facebook was going to produce its own cryptocurrency? And it it literally went to the Senate, you know, and they pulled Ross's face in and gave him a kicking and, and the European Union were up in arms. The reason was is because there are so many Facebook users around the world. If they had all put fifty dollars into the Facebook cryptocurrency coin, it would have been the most powerful currency on earth by a country mile. Dollar yeah. would be down here, Facebook yeah. would be up here. Yeah. Suddenly, you have a non, you have a non-governmentally controlled global system of finance that has no fiscal oversight, essentially, at yeah. all. Yeah. Now, there's no suggestion at the moment that, you know, Bitcoin is ever going to be that. But, you know, I think we're all just waiting for the first the first cryptocurrency that 15-year-olds carry on their phones to buy food at school at lunch, blip, or to yeah. give a tenner to their mate because they owed it from the beer they bought them last night, blip. Yeah, and when we see that, we will see, in my view, a viral, socially oriented cryptocurrency, which, uh, as we've seen with almost everything technical in the last twenty years, starts young and then grows up through the age ranges. Um, the Japan had the NVM coin, I think it's called, and and that's that. It, it's it's that really. I mean, that's huge, but it's only really big in Japan. Yeah. Um, but if we see that, I I I don't know that the big countries will will tolerate it, yeah. Um, because it's an uncontrolled environment; they just can't risk that. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Well,
0: where, where's you know where, what's the cutting edge now for you? Where 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 do you have um, you know do you have to expend the most energy keeping up? Is it DeFi protocols? Is it non fungible tokens? Is it privacy cryptocurrencies like? Monero or Zcash, you know, what's what's uh, keeping up at mm. night?
1: Okay, so let's, let's take, so the, the biggest issue at the moment that we are seeing criminally is the use of what we sort of generically term crypto 2.0, which is the Ethereum blockchain with all of its tokens. Yeah. Um, and there are just tokens coming out all the time, <clears throat> which you just can't keep up with. And they all do things slightly differently often. Um and then of course the the defi uh, contracts and how do you track through those uh, if you could imagine you know a criminal taking their criminal money and just staking it into a defi uh, contract you know yield farming and they're then earning clean money aren't they uh, from yeah. the back of it um yeah. nfts are interesting um <laughs> again i don't get it which means they're going to be wildly successful um but it, it, Anyway, it doesn't matter what I think. But um, again, we need to understand how to trace through them. We're already seeing art fraud being perpetrated with NFT. So yeah. the old thing of taking something to, you're taking a picture you own to auction, buying it for $100,000, paying the commission, then yeah. putting it back up for sale at $60,000. <laughs> yeah, um, Because it just sold for $100,000. Everyone thinks, oh, deal, and they buy it for 60 um, We're beginning to see that perpetrated, which is a very clever uh, fraud. Um, money laundering through NFTs—all these sorts of issues are fairly significant. When it comes to the privacy coins like like Monero, Zcash, and the like, not an issue at the moment. They are more complex to use, um, and the transaction numbers are still comparatively very small. Yeah. So the problem is if you come along with your ten million in criminal money and lob it into Zcash everyone's going to see it. Right. Um, and so the, the issue comes when something like Monero or Zcash becomes the coin du jour, becomes the way to go. And suddenly we're seeing, you know, quarter of a million transactions a day uh, pushing through something like Monero and, um, and, and much, much easier to use uh, wallets and so on and so forth. That, that will then be problematic, that's for sure. Although um, without any detail at all, Chainalysis have done some fantastic work. Uh, on yeah. Monero so no, nothing is impossible
0: yeah and what about stable coins because they've they've exploded in value in the last year and they range from you know the, the kind of highly legitimate ones to those that have got uh, you know quick questions about their asset backing to the ones which are kind of Growing almost uncontrollably in the in the DeFi markets and backed by protocols which are very difficult to uh, to understand, mm. but these are all kind of quasi dollars or quasi mean, they're mainly dollar denominated. I mean, how yeah, how big yeah. a deal how big a deal are those in the in the grand scheme of things? From what you well, you
1: at? know, for us as an investigator, it's just another token actually. Yeah. So yeah. they're based on what's called the ERC twenty um, uh, protocol or in the Binance smart chain. Just um, the protocols fundamentally the same. Actually, they are almost clones of each other. Um, so uh, tracking stablecoins is is as complicated as tracking other tokens, and doesn't really cause a major problem. However, I do write stablecoin with a small s mm. rather than a big s, uh, because as you rightly just pointed out, there are some significant questions over whether uh, each token is indeed backed by something of a certain dollar value yeah. um, because of course these are organizations you know remember yeah so the USDC coin is fundamentally circle and coinbase coinbase are worth quadrillion pounds. Um and um, USDT which is is your tether it's been question marks um, over uh, over tether um, so, you know, I'm certainly not going to get into the rights and wrongs of those coins, but they are no more difficult or easy than any of the other token tracing right. that we're being asked to do at the moment. One of the problems that we have with uh, Tether is that it can be run over multiple networks. So you can actually buy and you can actually move Tether over Bitcoin, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's not not generally that well known, but you, it's something called the Omni layer and you can. You can, you can run certain certain coins over Bitcoin. And of course, we've got the taproot um, fork coming in November for Bitcoin that will allow proper smart contracts within Bitcoin and yeah. are much more difficult for an investigator to ascertain that a smart contract is being triggered in a transaction. Yeah. Um, so that that is probably, that's the one that we are staring at at the moment and mm-hmm. trying to understand it um, because it's some of it's a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, and then trying to predict how that can be used, um, and then how we can investigate it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, we're not uh, here to talk about you know financial advice or, or you know movements in cryptocurrency prices. But given the volume of scams and uh, and you know very clever sort of social engineering attacks that people are have been mm-hmm. suffering around the world, what, you know what advice would you give to people who are looking at this area, wonder, wondering whether to you know hold a bit of their assets in? In cryptocurrency, you know, to to avoid you know,
1: to help them avoid getting cheated. Okay, so two things: um, if you're going to hold your money with an exchange, remember that your coins don't exist for you in that exchange. So when you go to an exchange and buy a Bitcoin, what you buy is a number one in your entry in their database. Okay, so you don't actually buy a Bitcoin. It's not till you move it that you own that Bitcoin. So with the big boys, I wouldn't worry too much about it. They're very secure. They're very good. But if you're going to hold with um, an exchange, be prepared to receive the phishing emails and so on and so forth, and fundamentally check everything with the exchange before you move any money. So some quite clever ones targeted against Coinbase at the moment, You know, which says your account has been um, exploited. You need to move your coins immediately. Yeah. Click here. Yeah. So if you're going to keep them with, with an exchange, just be aware of that environment, be aware of what you click, be aware of the actual domain name when you go to the site, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, if you're going to hold your coins locally, then I would recommend, I've got a Trezor in here actually, to use something like a, a hardware wallet that just yeah. holds your private keys. Yeah. Um, and what you just have to be really, really careful of. And the nice thing is, you see, if you if your private key is held up, to someone else, you don't know what your private key is. So if somebody uh, texts you and says, send us your private key and we'll help you with this transaction, you literally can't because yeah. it's in here. So yeah. that's quite useful. However, well, I had a guy call me, just lost quarter of a million dollars, Florida, uh, quite a sophisticated investor. And he was trying to move money on the Binance Smart Chain. And um, he couldn't do it. There was a problem. And he went on the Telegram support group. Somebody DM'd him and said, Sure, I'll help you with the transaction. Just pop your seed words up in the chat for me. And he did. (laughs) And your seed words, if listeners don't know, are essentially a list of 12 to 24 words that reconstruct your private key. Clue is in the name, people. Private. Yeah. And so never, ever, ever share your private key or your seed words with anyone. They never, ever, ever need it. And I've probably got half a dozen examples of people that have handed over the private key because they don't understand the technology. So if you're going to get into crypto, fine, up to you, all good. I haven't got a problem with it. It's, you know, people are making loads of money out of it. Um, But understand the technology and understand the difference between a public and a private key. Understand what a Bitcoin address is compared to the private key that controls it. If you cannot understand that, do not get into crypto because you just have victim tattooed on your forehead. (laughs) So uh, we are seeing many, many, many crimes oriented around the, the handing over of the seed words. Or the private key, so use a, a private key wallet like that, like a Trezor or a Ledger or a yep. Keep Key. There's a bunch of really good ones out there. Um, and remember that anything that you do online is potentially vulnerable. Yeah. So you've just got to be super, super careful. You know, I, I actually put a LinkedIn post up a number of months ago saying, "People, please stop handing over your seed words to criminals." You know, it's great. <laughs> I'm earning a really good living, but I'd much prefer you kept your money. <laughs> And I had less to do. So, um, yeah, crazy times.
0: Yeah. Nick, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a fascinating chat and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, You can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support our work, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.